a.m. East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello, this is Arts Editor Skylar Ashley filling in for Burl Schwartz. On today's edition of City Pulse, we'll listen to an interview with Bigby co-founder and co-CEO Bob Fish. I spoke with Mr. Fish toward the end of December of last year about Bigby's 25th anniversary, which was in 2020. We talked about growing the company from a single shop on Grand River, which was originally an Arby's and has since been demolished, to the massive and widely celebrated coffee chain it is today. Where were you at in 1995? Like, what, what was your life like when um, you met Mary at MSU and you guys had this idea for this coffee shop? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the pathway to the coffee shop, you know, I didn't uh, actually meet Mary at MSU, although we both were going to um, the hospitality business school, right? So I met her because I was running a restaurant at that time in Frandor called the Flapjack Shack. And, you know, I was putting myself through school um, by working at the Flapjack. And, um, and Mary came in to get a job as a hostess and, um, and I hired her. And that, that's where we met first. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I ended up working 10 years at the Flapjack. It took me uh, eight years to get my four-year degree. <laughs> so um, uh, I worked there a long time. But, but <laughs> Mary and I, uh, from, you know, when, when we graduated uh, from Michigan State University, we were going to leave East Lansing. Uh, but the people that own the Flapjack and Frandor, they wanted to continue expanding. And uh, we really wanted to own our own restaurant. So we sort of did a handshake deal where they – uh, we agreed to stay on and help them grow, and uh, they agreed to help us own a restaurant. So Mary and I opened the Flapjack in uh, 1991 on Waverly Road, uh, and that was a roaring success. You know, we we did like 1.6 million in our first year. Uh, we loved uh, that business, uh, but by 1993, uh, we actually saw the emergence of uh, specialty coffee in the greater Lansing area. So in in 1993, I had this experience where I went to downtown East Lansing on, uh, on, um, I wanna say it was MAC, uh, but it might might have been Abbott Road. But um, there was a special royale that was about the size of a closet. It's not their current location. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I had grown up mostly in Europe. So, you know, when I, when I went to MSU at the age of 17, I had already lived 12 years of those 17 years in uh, England, France, and Germany. And I just didn't think, you know, like America was ever going to look at the face of something like specialty coffee. But there it was, you know. And I remember coming and uh, telling Mary that I'd seen that. And I think that, you know, as much as we love this business, we need to move on. So we did. And we sold that restaurant December of 1993. And then Mary and I took a year off and did research and part of that research included spending three months in seattle um hanging out with people that were micro roasters and cafe owners and kind of learning the operational side of the business i mean you know i knew specialty coffee as a consumer uh growing up but i never knew it in from a production perspective so learned that came back uh, wrote a business plan in late 1994 found a location which was the arby's location 
mm-hmm. and uh, and opened up March fifteenth, nineteen ninety five. So those are some good points you brought up. Um, Seattle's obviously a deliberate choice because regardless, you know, obviously Starbucks is the huge one, but the Pacific Northwest. Um, they were definitely ahead of the curve on the specialty coffee thing. So I'm assuming that hanging out in Seattle was a very deliberate choice in terms of learning that trade. Yeah, birthplace of specialty coffee. And, you know, to give Starbucks perspective, in 1994, they did just rolled out of Seattle and entered their first uh, marketplace outside of Seattle in Chicago. So it was still just in the whole scheme of things, very early on specialty coffee. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit more about that because um, people in my generation um, probably can't imagine a world where you don't have a coffee shop on every corner. Um, can you kind of describe, I, I guess, what the scene was like? Was Lance yeah. in a coffee desert when you guys were coming up? Well, um, you're very right, by the way. You know, my son, who's uh, 24 years old, has never known a life without a coffee shop, right? Ever. So, uh, but in, in 1994, 95, you know, the, 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 the sort of statistical math goes like this. Uh, 70% of Americans have, uh, uh, approximately 70% of Americans have drank coffee, um, you know, since about the 1950s. In 1995, there was 5% of that 70% that drank specialty coffee. So it was really kind of at the at the upper end of the 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 spectrum you know now today it's like 25 to 30 percent of the 70 percent so it's a much wider audience and that audience just keeps getting wider and wider but then it was very narrow in spite of that uh there was something very unique going on in the greater lansing area there were 35 coffee shops when we opened not one of them was a chain and neither were we at that moment well, I take that back. There was a, a, a four-unit local chain called Cappuccino Cafe at that time. And the interesting thing about that number, 35 coffee shops in 1995 in the greater Lansing area, is there weren't 35 coffee shops in southeast Michigan, uh, and there weren't 35 coffee shops in Grand Rapids. And so, you know, it's not, it's not often that Lansing is like at the cutting edge of uh, Michigan uh, product development, you know. But there was just uh, some unique factors. I think one of the, you know, part of it was the university. Uh, and, and, uh, and then part of it was this sort of mixture of, uh, you know, downtown capital, uh, university, and um, that in Lansing, really, the, even the dining scene wasn't that great. You know, we were sort of really stuck in this, uh, rut of uh, Applebee's and Bennigan's and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so people were a little bit starved uh, for, for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, special coffee has always been a luxury item to a large degree, um, but it, 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 it falls into this category of affordable luxury, right? So it can be indulgent, but it's something that you could participate with maybe once, twice, three, four times a week kind of thing and feel pretty good about. Um, so that was the scene that we walked into is all independence, um, all, um, and, and I, I knew almost every one of them, um, most of those did not survive. That was, that was really first wave. You know, you talk about 
especially coffee in terms of waves, that was the first wave. And so we, on the one hand, we ended, entered a competitive marketplace. There were 35 other coffee shops. In, in another way, uh, we entered a marketplace that already sort of understood what a latte and a cappuccino were, right? So, um, and prior to that moment in time, coffee shop in America meant going to a big boy and having breakfast. You know, it was sort of the California uh, coffee shop uh, or Denny's or something like that or where you might go there in the afternoon for dessert, uh, you know, bottomless cup of coffee, not very good, uh, not very well produced, uh, and that kind of thing. That was, so that was one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum was this sort of dark bohemian, uh, smoky poetry slam kind of place that you might've found in New York, but didn't really exist in, in the Lansing area, you know, and that was the state of specialty coffee at that moment, or coffee in general, sorry. It's at that location that um, you meet Michael McFall, who comes on as a barista. Yeah, um, yeah. How did that all play out um, with him, you know, starting out as a barista and now obviously, you know, he's co-CEO? Yeah, right. Uh, I have a long history of that. Uh, I have a long history of that. I mean, you know, Mary was a hire also, and we became partners. Um, but Michael was a hire too. Uh, and, and, you know, as it goes, We'd opened that original location. We were on the cusp of opening a second location in downtown Lansing on Allegan Street. And uh, we needed a manager, you know, and uh, that was gonna come out of the pool of, of staff that we had. Mary had said, hey, you should talk to this Mike guy. You know, Mary and I were working opposite shifts. So Mary would sort of work in the morning open to about uh, two and I'd come in at one and go, go from two to close, which was uh, about 11 p.m. So I never really met Michael, so but you I came were here, very uh, hands on. You were very hands on as owners. Oh, totally. I mean, in the beginning, uh, you know, steam milk, shoot shots, take cash. Those are the general positions that we have in a Big B Coffee. Uh, definitely a shopkeeper at that moment in time, and, and very proud of that. You know, mm -hmm. hands on shopkeeper. So, uh, but I came in to interview him. We we sat down at a table out front for about five seconds, and we got up. It was a spring day, and decided to go for a walk. Four hours later, we came back, shook hands, and said, um, you know, we think that we'd like to become uh, partners, and we'd like to become partners to grow uh, Big B Coffee. And it's sort of a, a very unusual event, uh, but those kinds of events uh, happen to me a lot, where, uh, you know, you find somebody, and they're smart, and, and you, you share values, and um, in, in this particular case, at that moment in time, shared some ambition, and uh, we thought that there's there's something that would really work out for the three of us. Um, do you remember where you had that conversation with him, where you made that offer? Where did that take place? Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, it's not like I made him the offer. It's oh. like we came to that conclusion together, and uh, you know, we at that original location, we just popped out the back door. Uh, we started walking towards campus. We walked on campus. We came back. We finished the, the conversation in the parking lot uh, and shook hands. And, and, and the rest of that is history for sure. It's a very, very organic process there. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened. Uh, that's happened again and again uh, in, in my life. You know, going from those original two locations. Yeah. How did that come about? How, how did you know that you were ready to, you know, really really go at this yeah for sure you know the um the you know from the from the handshake 
uh, conversation. What we knew is we wanted to grow. What we didn't was how we were going to do it, right? And, you know, there's only so, so many ways, right? You can do it organically, you know, kind of uh, you know, take your profits, reinvest, and, and that kind of thing. I think that that was just a little too slow for the two of us. Um, we could uh, try to get investors, uh, but we were so small. I mean, the idea, we had two cafes, right? So that's not a chain. That's not a concept. That's, that's just two cafes, you know? And, um, uh, but we, we landed on this franchise thing because what was happening was uh, we kind of put together the, the original stores uh, and, and it looked like a chain, right? The way we did it, it, it looked and felt like a chain. And we kept getting these phone calls where people were like, where are you out of? Meaning, um, so they thought we were some outsiders coming into the, the community and some bigger company than we were. And that led us to believe that we had a, a franchisable concept. And so we dived into franchising. And really, um, you know, it really worked out well for, for the kind of people we are. I mean, I, I would consider both Michael and I teachers, um, coaches, uh, and that kind of thing. And the, the whole idea of taking people and giving them uh, a system and a structure uh, and being able to coach them along into uh, uh, a successful business uh, really fit our personalities well. Mm -hmm. um, once you start opening up several locations and really um, spreading out, how do you keep sort of the original vision or, you know, the original thing that made you know the first few stores shops yeah. great like how do you keep that integrity intact while also growing exponentially well the answer is going to be ridiculously simple the answer is you got to write things down right <laughs> so um you know th this is you know what you're asking about is how do you maintain the culture and um you know, there, there, there's a lot of parts of the business that, that people never really get around to that I think are probably the, the most important parts, right? So, you know, we uh, developed in uh, 1997 on the cusp of a second store, something called an operating philosophy that is still part of like the Big B Bible today. Um, we developed uh, what we called our operating um, core values. Uh, that acronym is called STEAM, that still exists today. Uh, and those were the early versions. Uh, later, uh, cultural values. Um, and then as we continue to grow, uh, mission statements, uh, vision, purpose, all these things are absolutely essential to, to spend some brain time on and really decide um, not only who you are, but who you want to be, right? And writing them down uh, gives one the, the, the capacity to share and review it, of course, uh, but writing it down uh, provides uh, clarity. So a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business people carry that stuff in their head and they, they, they transmit it almost osmotically. And if you're a small organization, let's say you have one or two units of whatever you're doing, you can probably make that work. But as that sort of flies out and gets larger, you really got to have that codified, right?
And, and so that was one thing that we were really good at is taking uh, the who we want to be and the, the who we are uh, and, and getting that down into writing and then uh, communicating that. So, you know, one of the, the biggest things, I've gone through a lot of personal transformations um, as a shopkeeper, you can, uh, you can drive, uh, the, the culture of your shop through will and presence, uh, as a CEO, uh, you can no longer do it in that fashion. And so what has to improve is your communication skills and, uh, the passion behind that. Um, when you were developing this philosophy and turning it into something that was, um, you know, a simple code. Mm -hmm. was what was the inspiration behind that did you have any like other businesses or um, other you know mentors that helped you come up with you know that process that idea well uh not on those particular uh ideas um but i always uh, believed in this idea of uh business scaffolding right there, there, there are these people that you collect and that you can uh, share ideas with. Uh, some people formalize that by having business roundtables and stuff like that. I'm not as much as in favor of that as, as uh, an informal um, uh, network. But you know, one of the most influential people for us was a woman by the name of Mary Ellen Sheets, also a Lansing native, started Two Men in a Truck. And when we were gonna franchise, I called her up magically. She took my call. I don't know why. I mean, I was just some guy that had two cafes. She spent an enormous amount of time with me to answer all my silly questions, right? And um, of course, Fred DeLuca had a high impact. But what I would do, you know, between reading the paper uh, and looking at news and stuff, there are just people that uh, I would learn about or know and and you know, maybe some admiration would grow and, and I just call them up, you know, and, and it's, it's a super great lesson uh, for folks that, that do want to be in business is it's really worth making that phone call. And, and, you know, your, your biggest risk is that somebody might not want to talk to you, but if they do, and most of the time they do, um, there's so much to be learned. Mm. But, you know, the, the real, um, strength of Big B Coffee, which, you know, our purpose is to support people in building a life they love. That, that is the whole thing that drives us, okay? That came from uh, the, the mind and the hearts uh, of uh, Mike, Bob, and Mary. And that, that has just never changed. It's taken on different looks and feels, uh, but the whole idea of integrating the word love uh, into, into the language of business as deeply as the word profit is something that really drives us. So obviously we've talked a lot about um, the background, people involved, mm -hmm. philosophy, uh, yeah. the, the product itself, yeah. the coffee, what really made it a cut above when it came to developing um, what it is you serve, um, mm -hmm. what it is that people love about Big B Coffee that allowed you to expand so far because obviously if people weren't in love with it you wouldn't um be able to get where you're at today i, I guess what went into developing the uh, big b coffee that people are so familiar with yeah right so you know uh just a couple things one um 
know, the, 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 the flavor profile of all the coffee shops in 1995 that existed already when we opened were all very similar. Um, and, and they were driven by one manufacturer of coffee in the greater Lansing area. And they, they, they had that footprint. Okay. So when we opened, um, you know, we do, we do an enormous amount of research, but when we opened, um, we're like, Hey, I think we need something that, that stands out differently than that. And so roast profiles then were very, very dark, uh, and very acrid and smoky. And, and there's, there's a whole crowd that likes that kind of thing. But um, the highest per capita coffee drinkers in the world are all in Scandinavia. It's Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Germany, Iceland, okay? And the roast profile in those countries tends to be in a range that is called uh, dark medium to medium dark. And so it's one notch down from all that, you know, I think I'm drinking a cigar kind of flavor profile and where you can uh, actually taste the nuances of the coffee and the coffee beans that you're getting. And so all of our profiles were, were at that roast profile. Uh, obviously we use high quality beans, well sourced. And then the, the sec, the third component um, that was really uh, uh, a big recipe to success was the level of consistency that we provided. So you know, today there's, there's pumps on bottles and, 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 and um, there's, there's ways of dosing where you can measure everything and so on and so forth. In 1995, that didn't exist, right? So people were free pouring, you know, let's say if you wanted vanilla syrup in your latte, they'd free pour that. And so you'd go to a cafe one day and it would be this much and you go to the cafe the next day, it'd be that much. We introduced uh, standardized recipes and methodologies that made it super, uh, uber, uh, consistent regardless of whether you're coming to the same cafe or going to one of the other uh, cafes under the same name. And I, I think that reliability contributed uh, a great amount uh, to, to, to our success, the thing that was different at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. The other thing is we made coffee unbelievably approachable. Okay. I mean, people were selling uh, drinks like, uh, you know, over Italianized names like uh, caramel macchiato. Well, nobody knows what a macchiato is. I mean, maybe they do today, but they certainly didn't in 1995. Well, we call that a caramel marvel. And, and you know, our, one of our most popular drinks is called a teddy bear and so on and so forth. So rather than coming into this Eurocentric specialty coffee shop where we're going to try to trip you up and show you what you don't know, we made it like order a teddy bear. And, you know, when people order a teddy bear, they like smiled, you know, because it was so ridiculous and ludicrous. Uh, but that that made it uh, approachable, you yeah. know. That's what I actually wanted to follow up on. How do you um, keep things gourmet but still mass produced? Um, is a big part of that just you know simple tricks with you know standardized amounts of ingredients. How are you able to you know strike that balance? Well, the balance is there, there's no reason for compromise in quality ever, right? There's just not. Um, it's really not the price point we're selling at. Uh, two, training, training, training. Part of that is consistency, right? I mean, and then um, three, uh, the, the attaching names that are, that, that are unintimidating does not devalue the product. The product still stands on its own, right? So you, you might even get a teddy bear and be like, no, this is silly. And then you drink it and you're like, no, this is good, you know, and, and then you're in. Um, so, um, and I, and right now we're going through an amazing transformation. I got to tell you, we're, we're, 
we're taking all of our coffees farm direct, right? So um, our first goal is 50% by 2023. We're at 15% right now. And this is where we eliminate all the, the thieving brokers along the way, give that money down to the farmer, pay them uh, something that is uh, a, a really fair price, price, way beyond fair trade, and uh, develop a relationship directly with farmers. And so in the end, you know, our customers will know uh, the, the name, the face, and the place of every one of our coffees. And right now it's a little vague. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, that kind of thing, and that, that, that's just another qualitative detail. And that's, that's not about quality of coffee, but of course the, the quality of the coffee is paramount. It's, it's absolutely essential. Uh, but it's about the quality of other things too, like um, living in fair wages for their employees, uh, treating the planet right, and also treating the, the community at large uh, correctly also. All those things are really important. And that's a different kind of quality. Um, it, it, it's quality of life. Uh, but if we are truly a company that believes that we're here to support you in building a life you love, we can't do that just with our owner operators or just with our consumers. We got to do it with the people that we have high impact all over the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Another major event in um, chapter for Big B was the name change over from Beaners. Yeah. Um, and obviously that can be really difficult for a company to really have to completely switch up your branding. Um, but Big B was able to do that really successfully in a, yeah. a transition from Beaners to Big B. Yeah. Um, what was that? What was that chapter like in terms of switching the name over? What, what were the conversations like? You know, how how did you pull that off? That chapter was beautiful. So, you know, we had a name that was a derogatory term towards a Mexican-American that we didn't know when we opened up, right? There was no outside pressure to change the name. Uh, but we, as owners of the company, woke up every day n- knowing that it was a derogatory term, right? And um, for a long time, we thought, well, you know, we're just going to make it, you know, almost almost change the course of that being a, a derogatory term, right? Uh, but at some point, we decided it's just it's consuming too much energy. It's 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 it, that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is just to change the name, right? And you know. That, that kind of decision and that kind of execution, it, it, it's, it's like as a person, you know, when, when, when you're troubled by something and, and, and you're vacillating and you're just trying to get, get it to that, that point where you make the decision and get it done, and then you have that sense of relief when it happens. Um, but that's what this was like. I mean, it was so the right thing to do um, that it felt natural and easy uh, and that's the way we approach that. Now, there, I mean, there were folks that are like, you know, uh, you know, you're being too PC or something like that. And we're like, oh, thank you. Uh, we appreciate that. The way we consider that a compliment, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, the reporting out there says that the name Big B just comes from the fact that um, you'd refer to the place as the Big B because mm-hmm. giant B on the sign. Mm-hmm. Is that the truth right there? Was it as simple as that? It is simple as that, uh, that, that we were just having you, we just have you say our logo out loud every day. If you say Big B. 
finally jumping to 2020, talking about some new stuff. You know, tell me a little bit about um, the impact of coronavirus impact on 2020. Yeah. It's been a crazy year. What's it been like for you? Extraordinary, right? Uh, extraordinary lows and extraordinary highs, both. Uh, so um, we, we have uh, a polarized effect inside BB Coffee. You know, we have locations that are lobby only, lobby plus drive-through and drive-through only. Well, if you're a lobby only store, you are impacted in a real negative way. If you have drive-through or drive-through only, you're impacted in a very positive way, right? But right now, uh, our system-wide sales are up 22%. And there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, one, um, uh, in, in that drive-through format, it's a very safe uh, uh, environment for people to go. Two, um, people need contact with people, but they can't get it. Uh, but you can get it in, in that few minutes at a, at a Big B coffee, uh, three, uh, getting your cup of coffee feels normal. And a lot of people are trying to, you know, reach for normal. Uh, and then the last point I would say is because we are hundred percent franchised, uh, our owner operators are always local. Uh, the staff knows them, the customers know them. It's not some uh, corporate uh, run entity. Uh, it's always run on a local level. And knowing the customers or the customers knowing the owner, the, the customers, uh, the staff knowing the owner, I think made a real difference in terms of the continuity of business we were able to provide. And, and so it's been really beneficial. And that does it for us here at City Pulse. I'd like to thank Bob Fish and I'd like to thank you, the listener. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. For City Pulse, this is Skylar Ashley, signing off.